Hey everyone, welcome to In Your Element from Tetramap, where our focus is on developing people and business the way nature intended. Our guests will be sharing their expertise on what it's like when you're working in your element and working in a great team where people value each other's differences. I'm Louise Duncan, your host, and look forward to sharing this with you in the coming weeks. Okay, so um, welcome everyone. And today's guest is Mark Long. And Mark um, is here in New Zealand with me. And I first met Mark at RILA, which stands for Rotary Youth Leadership Association or Awards, should I say. And I was wondering how long ago that was, Mark? Well, I think it was 2014. I just started at Scouts. Okay. Five years ago now. (laughs) And what were you doing at Scouts five years ago then? I was the head of development and capability. It was my first major leadership role. Cool. And what did you learn from scouts? Jeepers, that that voluntary organizations, if we can harness the passion of the people there, we can genuinely change the world. Right. Well, that leads us into what we're going to be talking about today. So to set some more context for our listeners, Mark Long has held leadership roles with not-profit, corporate and government organizations for over 10 years. Um, he's passionate about, as you've just heard from him, about developing leaders to, to ensure that these volunteer organizations particularly are bold in, in taking a people-centered approach and has recently completed a doctorate in organizational development. And today we're going to be asking him a few questions, but he's going to be sharing his research and experience with uh, volunteer leaders um, for really making this change that he's talking about. So it's a fascinating piece of research, Mark. And just as my first question, what catalyzed you to do this research? Was it your scouts experience? To a certain extent it was. I was a young leader of 24 when I was at scouts and I was, I had line management for five and a half thousand adult leaders or volunteers, uh, as well as a range of of paid staff. um, And of course, 15,000 young people at this, at the same time. Uh, what I what I found was um, <laughs> uh, that I guess the average age of our of our volunteer workforce was uh, was well in excess of my age. Um, our average age was was at least double of double that. And I thought so nobody I can, can see you, so they have no idea how old you are. <laughs> true, true. I'm 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 thirty now. I'm happy to say that. Um, and I guess at the time I thought if I was to do my masters, and I did my masters on performance uh, management or performance development of volunteers, specifically at Scouts. I thought if I got that behind me, then maybe I'd have a bit more, uh, I guess, credibility within the space. Mm-hmm. And then I loved that. After I did my bachelor's um, way back, I thought I would never go back to study. I did my masters. I loved it. So I thought, I want to to keep this going. I want to contribute in a meaningful way to volunteer leadership, to people leadership, uh, Mm -hmm. and to organizations to make the most of our people resources, um, Mm. which is why organizations exist. Uh, So Mm. that was my my real driver. And I thought, if I do this at Fire and Emergency, our largest, um, as I believe it, volunteer-involving organization in New Zealand, I thought the implications of this research can be so widespread uh, 14.1% of all volunteers complete over 50% of all volunteer hours. 
Mm. Um, so the old, the old saying, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. I thought our volunteers, our Red Crosses volunteers, our Scouts volunteers, uh, the food banks volunteers, and if we can have a great experience for our people, then they will take that experience with them and that leadership ex- um, that those leadership qualities and skills to other organisations. And again, we can we can genuinely change people's lives, both in their volunteer work, in their um, paid work, and in their family and community lives. Mm. Well, thank you, Mark. That's that's uh, that really gives an indication about why you you embarked on this journey. So I just want to kick off by taking you back a few little years to Ryla and. Um, your Tetramap experience, and for those people that um, don't know what we do there, but Tetramap really is the start of the five-day leadership program for young people who are perhaps in around, I don't know, somewhere between 18 and 24, and they're just really using that experience to start to understand how to build great teams. So when they go out into the corporate or the volunteer or the community space, they're really armed with understanding about themselves, how to um, work with others and how to get the most out of diverse teams. And, and what was um, a gem out of your experience from that, Mark? I think like, like most workshops or retreats um, or facilitated sessions, it's the networking. It's talking to other people about their drivers, about their passions, finding where, where similarities exist, finding where you can challenge each other. Uh, I met some really amazing people who I still connect with today. Um, and I, I think building up, building up your network, finding people that have similar values to you, finding people that um, I guess also have different values and different strengths and different weaknesses. So you can build upon each other. You can, um, I guess, create a community where you, where you support each other and, and challenge each other to be better people, to be better leaders and to contribute um, meaningfully. Mm. Nice. Yes, it's certainly been a very enhancing experience over the years I've done those workshops. So we really enjoy giving back in that way. Um, So let's just find out a little bit more about you, Mark. Uh, So when you personally are in your element, what do you like to be thinking, doing or feeling? What is it that grabs your attention in that space? Uh, Four and a half months ago, this answer changed when um, our baby, our baby girl Maya was born. So uh, when I'm in my element, I'm looking at her, I'm playing with her and I guess I'm really present in a, and, and that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily me. That's something I've, I've come to uh, really embrace being present, experiencing the little things, how she interacts, kind of the, the non-verbal communication, the love that you share uh, mm. In a work setting, when I'm in my element, it's definitely facilitating in front in front of large groups of people. I find the energy. I find you can see in people's faces those aha moments when you say something, and they're like, "Yes, that's what I've been waiting for," mm. or "Yes, you've just really validated something that I've known or thought for a long time." Cool. Um, yeah, I guess those two really mm. in my element. Well, congratulations on your little baby. Thank you. She, she has to feature in all of, all of, all of my workshops. <laughs> I'm sure. And Mark, can you share something about nature that's important to you? Uh, I think um, I'll put it into an example. For me, nature really grounds me. Uh, I know when I'm having a, a tough time, I love to go to the beach. Um, I take off my shoes. I put my feet in the water. And as the waves come in, you you're grateful you you take in everything you bring in the new life you um you accept things that are going on and you're again really present 
And when the tide goes out, it takes with it uh, all of the challenges, all of the worries that you've got. And for me, nature in that sense of the ocean and how vast it is and of um, the ground and how firm and how grounding it is, um, mm. that's, that's, that's me. That's where I'm happy. That's a nice metaphorical um, description of the tide coming in and out and dealing with the challenges that we all face on a daily basis. Yeah. If you can get out there, it certainly makes a huge difference in interesting your description, listening to how you, how you describe what was happening through your feet, being in the sand and feeling that ocean. Exactly. Something yeah. we need to do, all need to do a little bit more, I reckon. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. So, Mark, one of the questions that I asked you in advance was if you had a short reading or a quote, something that was meaningful for you. The reason I always like to ask the guests these questions is because there are so many powerful gems that people bring to the table. And just wondered if you had something prepared. Uh, I, 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 I've had this prepared for about 15 years for, right. for those people nice. that, that knew Bebo. Bebo was uh, the online platform that, that was before Facebook, as I understand it. And I found this from high school when I, when I started on Bebo. It's a Winston, Sue Winston Churchill quote, and it, and it reads, we make a living from what we get. We make a life from what we give. And I think for me, that's exactly why we're here. That's what we're here to do. Um, leave the place a little a little bit better than you found it. Thank you, Mark. There's a lot of wisdom in that quote. Excellent, and Big it stuck time. with you for that for that length of your time. It and has. It's it's my go-to. It's so powerful. Yeah, truly is. Well, wonderful. Thanks so much, Mark. So let's let's just talk about your research a little bit more, um, and perhaps I could just kick off by asking you um, just to talk about the 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 abstract so that people get an overview as they, and then we'll go a little bit more into the detail about what you just, why you decided to embark on this research about volunteer leadership. Sure. Uh, so my, my research was entitled leadership perceptions and turnover at fire and emergency New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it took me about six months to convince the university I was doing this with to allow me to do the study because it was quite, it was quite large. Um, very briefly, there's two major forms of research. One is qualitative, which is the stories and um, what people think is happening and, and what they tell you is happening, and, and we get that data through interviews. And quantitative research, which is more the data, the numbers and the figures and what they tell us um, is actually, well, not actually, but what is going on in a different perspective. What I wanted to do is, because in my experience, I know when we go to, uh, I guess, implement changes or when we go to present our findings, uh, people want a voice and, and we want to know what people are thinking. So what I did was through the quantitative side, I, I, inter- I um, surveyed uh, volunteer chief fire officers within the uh, North Otago area on two things. One was their uh, leadership style and how that impacted retention. And second was how they perceived the organization supported them and the impact that those results had on retention. And on the other hand, I interviewed on-the-ground volunteer firefighters or our followers on the strategies that their leaders use to reduce volunteer firefighter turnover. When it came time to present the findings, I wanted the voice of our follower and I wanted the voice of our leader. So when I was presenting to both, I wanted to say, this is what you're telling me, this is what your leader or follower is telling me, and this is how they interact. And if we can understand and implement, I guess, positive um, 
sustainable change for both, then this is the impact that we can have on the people that we're serving. Mm. What was interesting to me, Mark, as I was reading the research, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, was I was thinking, number one, one question that I didn't know was what percentage of the fire service or fire and emergency service is volunteers? Is it significant? And number two, what struck me immediately was this is not just relevant to the volunteer sector. So I just wondered if you could elaborate on that, those two points a little. Yeah, absolutely. Our, the, the volunteer side of our organisation makes up 86%. So 86% oh, of wow. operational and non-operational firefighters and volunteers in New Zealand are volunteer. 86%, that's oh, about 12,000 12, people. It is, mm. it's, it's phenomenal. The, and we, we, rely on the, we rely on the semi-permanent, I guess, um, capability of volunteers. So it's a 24-hour job. Um, mm. Yeah, f- phenomenal. Um, and sorry, what was the second part? The second part was about, you know, I, I was just making a comment that the research that you discovered was not just relevant to volunteers. Oh, look, this is where I get really passionate because what, as soon as we, I guess, label volunteers or as soon as we say you're paid or you're volunteer, immediately we're, we're creating a divide. For me, whenever we're talking about leadership or, or, or anything even remotely related to the, the leadership or management of people, we must be treating people as unique individuals. And this is where the volunteer versus the paid um, cannot come into it. What we need to do when we're speaking about leadership and leading other people is treating everyone as an individual, finding out what motivates them and proactively working with them to develop their competencies so that we can make a greater impact for people. Mm. Yes, thank you, Mark. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of other points that I found, you know, of of importance for um, for other organisations. One was the, you know, the the more complex challenges with retention is increasing, but also I think perhaps, you know, um, and you might want to comment on that. But what I found particularly relevant was here this this thing about the impact of the family on the volunteers I don't know if the right word is motivation but turnover whatever you want to describe it as yeah for sure so I think as as a society um, what what we've labeled it as is episodic volunteering we know that volunteers want to sign up to organizations for a certain period of time that's related to a certain event or accomplishment so for example in Wellington we have round the bays uh, which is a, um, a, a fun run, which is a f- uh, fundraising uh, event where people, we close down sh- streets and people run a marathon around the bays. Mm. And people want to volunteer for that to say that they've, they've accomplished and achieved and contributed to something. For, organ- for, for a lot of organizations, we, we want people to be involved for a longer period of time beyond events. So my challenge to organizations who are, who are employing people, uh, not just volunteers, but paid staff as well, is how do we... On the, on the journey of a person, how do we episode it? And, and I guess for me, the easiest way to do that is through our performance development framework. Any excuse to sit down after one to three months, work through the smart goals that we've developed. How are you going? What else do you need from us as an organization? Um, what's, what's the next period of time that you're going to achieve? For me, that's how we episode timeframes. And I know from, we, we know from research that this, these new generations coming through they don't want to stay with organizations for long periods of time. They want to achieve something and then they want a new experience. And as organizations, we have to evolve and we have to be flexible enough to give these people um, the best experiences so they can take those to their, 
to their next employments, or so they can take them with them as they as they um, go up the ladder for our organisation. Mm. And the second part of that is is the involvement of family. Family yeah. is the single biggest uh, factor when it comes to a volunteer or any person choosing to remain or leave an organisation. And and for me, our biggest opportunity for as organisations is to formally and effectively induct families into our organization and an example i'll use for for fire and emergency is at the moment well in fact for new zealand mental health is a, is a significant issue that we're trying to tackle and particularly with firefighters with the the increasing amount of purple calls or or calls that we're going to where people are, are not surviving and, and are requiring first aid or, or um, first response if we are to induct the families effectively around the support mechanisms that we have in place in which fire and emergency has around six then the family is our first line of defense. If someone comes home and says, I had a really bad time and, and they just get on with it. If we can have our families there saying, which, acts, which, which form of support have you accessed? I, I can see you're hurting. Do you want to talk about it? Or can you talk to someone else? Where it, whether it's peer support, our employee or volunteer assistance program, whatever it looks like, we need to include our families because if that happens, we can have a much greater impact on the mental health and the satisfaction of our people. Quite fascinating. Was that a surprise to you, Mark, in your research? I think what's surprising is a lot of organisations don't necessarily consider the family. A lot of the time you hear we need to be family inclusive and responsive to the needs of families. But when it, when it comes, to the t- comes time to actually do something about that, um, I think organisations let themselves and their people down. Mm. And I think that it, and it needs to start with the induction of families. If families know what an organisation stands for, and importantly, if, if families or the partner of our people know the leader in which they're reporting to, I think, again, as our first line of, of defence, if they go home and say, look, I've had a really bad day, my manager's done this, mm. if, if your partner has no idea who that person is, they will more likely than not just jump on board and say, well, you should leave, or that's a toxic environment. But if they know that person for who they are individually, they can say, look, that doesn't sound like the person I've met. Have you tried this? Or what were the other surrounding influences on that? Again, our people will be much happier. We can possibly keep people longer and the satisfaction and work output of our people will be much greater. Thanks, Mark. Um, And I wanted to talk particularly about this second theme that you identified, which was around flexibility and training and training and development, because for for us at Tetramap, obviously that's very important for our other facilitators to learn and understand what you discovered here around this this importance of having flexibility in in training. Yeah, absolutely. Again, one size, there's a saying one size fits none, but for one size will at least fit one person, I hope. Uh, For for me, with with any, uh, I do a lot of strategic planning with organisations and leadership development. And for me, while we can have a direction, we cannot, we cannot have everyone doing the same thing. What we need in the North Island of, of New Zealand and in the South Island is going to be markedly different. But if everyone is heading in the same direction, but they're getting there in different ways, that has to be the way we do things. We have to be flexible enough to give ownership and accountability to our local leaders so that they can achieve the goals that we need to achieve as an organization. Um, and to be flexible enough, particularly with training, instead of saying, we need to train on a weekend, particularly for, for our volunteers and our people who want to spend their weekends with their families. Mm-hmm. Can we be doing it over four different Monday nights or different training nights? 
can we be collaborating with brigades or parts of our organization locally with what they're good at and what we're good at and, and collaborating um, for training and learning different things? Uh, what, what works best for our brigade or for our part of the organization? So long as we're achieving the ultimate goal or the direction of our organization, we must allow people to have the autonomy, authority and delegation to make that happen. Mm. And I think that's such an important factor for organ. This is where I'm saying there's so much crossover, although you've done your research in the volunteer sector, there's a lot of crossover into the, you know, the corporate sector or other sectors too. This yeah, thing absolutely. about flexibility and training, how people learn, what the, what they get out of learning is so important. And I suppose it's very different in a fire training environment. There must be a lot of routines and procedures that you must have to train people on safety and new equipment and this, that and the other. Those can be very applied across learning to be a great leader or learning to run a great team or learning to uh, a new technical skill. It's just something that's very, very essential for all organisations to consider as they're planning their delivery of any programme. Absolutely. And and on that note, I think there's there's a real importance for for there to be an outcome focused. I know a lot of organizations are still time bound um, by, by processes or by training programs. Uh, I would encourage organizations to be focused on what outcome do we want someone to achieve because people will achieve and learn at different paces. And mm. for those who learn faster um, or, or differently, we don't want to slow them down. We want to utilize their pace so that yeah. they can for other people and for the ones that are, that are not are not as quick or to pick up, we need to adapt our learnings, our learning um, styles and our presentation styles to suit them better. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. And um, then my next point is about your theme about positive culture and satisfaction. And what I read here was the uh, this particular point that I'd like you to speak on about the leader talks optimistically about the future. Um, and this is something that we all know about, but it's very easy, isn't it, Mark, to get trapped down in the mire of the day-to-day of what's going on and what's gone wrong and what's not working. And I think for leaders to be reinforced about the importance of being able to speak optimistically, it certainly gave me a bit of a jolt and think, is that how I speak every time? You, you and me both, absolutely. So what we have talked on has been the results of the interviews. So this, this was a result of one of the surveys, which was the multi-factor leadership questionnaire of, of, our, of leaders within North Otago. Uh, for, for, I, I looked at two leadership styles. Was, one was transformational leadership style and one was transactional. For the transformational leadership style, there's four, four key components of that. One is idealized influence or how our leaders go beyond their own self-interest for the interest of the group. Uh, intellectual stimulation, which is re-examining our basically our critical assumptions and questioning whether they're still appropriate. Individualized consideration, helping others to achieve their strengths and treating them as individuals. And inspirational motivation, which is talking optimistically about the future. This research um, was very clear that if uh, because our leaders scored low on inspirational motivation, and that had the biggest impact on retention. If we scored low on talking optimistically about the future, we would have much higher turnover rates and and less satisfaction. And my challenge to organizational leaders, and certainly when I'm presenting this research, is what is your story about the future? Um, If you don't have a positive outlook on on the future, talk to someone who does or challenge yourself on the impact that this will have on your people. 
Um, leadership is just as much, uh, I guess, about putting your own wants and needs aside for the good of the group, but also being vulnerable enough to say, look, I'm hurting at the moment, or this is, this is where I'm at. Um, can you support me with, with where we're headed? But at the end of the day, I believe, and research supports this, that while people sign up to the organization and the vision and the mission of the organization, people stay for the vision, the mission, the values of their leader. So they consider their leader in many respects to represent the organization as a whole. And if that person is not talking optimistically about the future, then there's a real disconnect with that follower and the organization and where they see they may or may not fit. And a lot of the time, if it's not positive, mm. people don't see themselves fitting and they certainly don't see themselves contributing to something much greater than themselves. And, you know, I think that's something that any leader in any organization can learn so much from because I think the leader of a team or, or an organization shoulders the burden of responsibility of where we're going. I know it's all about bringing the team on board, but sometimes it's quite easy just to overlook the importance of reinforcing that message around optimism. And that for me was a real aha moment um, that I just wanted to thank you for bringing that to the fore for me. And I hope other people will, will understand that too and, and want to read more about that. Because obviously your paper is much longer than the, the 10 page research that you sent me. And thank you for making it so easy for me to understand the significance of the research. And, um, you know, it, it really is important. And I think just to start to wrap it up a bit, Mark, you know, if anybody wants to read the full paper or read your 10-page summary or get in touch with you, how, what would be the best way for them to do that? I am on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And um, LinkedIn, I, I believe, .com forward slash Mark Long NZ. Um, I, I also have my own consultancy um, firm, which is Strategy Matters Limited, and that's right. strategymatters.nz. And what oh. I'm looking to do is, is I'll put this research up on that website. Okay, and I'll put a link to it on our, on our podcast. Superb. I think I'd like to, to wrap up with just this last point of your, um, that I read that I thought was just outstanding. You, you've talked about your dedication and the dedication to all the volunteers who, who are in the fire service, who we all know are amazing people. But I thought the dedication that you made at the end of your study was fantastic. Obviously, you acknowledged the, the fantastic contribution to all the volunteers, not only in the fire service, but people all around the world. But it was really about, you know, this point that you said that you discovered about resilience being an outcome of dogged determination and following a new path is inspirational and that prioritizing one's own goals does not need to come at the detriment of others and that with the power of a loving supportive family absolutely anything can be accomplished and I thought that was a lovely dedication at the end I wondered if Thank you'd you. like to comment on that I, I guess, look, I'm, I'm really, I, I got goosebumps just, just hearing that back. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really values-based. Um, I, I undertook this, this study and this research because I genuinely wanted to make a difference. And I've been really privileged. I've, I've presented my research uh, on 11 occasions to over 400 people who influence more than 45,000 people throughout New Zealand. Um, and, for, and for me, research is only... 
Uh, my words, research is only as useful as those you can inspire to, to implement the recommendations and the findings. And I've been really privileged to have people um, come to me to have this research um, be meaningful to them and so they can make a difference for, for people ultimately. Mm, that's great. And Mark, one final thought from you. Uh, as TetraMap is really all about developing great teams naturally, is there something that you've learned from your research about that that might be a great gift to end with our, for our listeners? Yeah, part of the research uh, went into how do we appreciate people? How do we, how do we recognize the work done of, of volunteers and of people? And a way to bring this, I guess, to light for people was to, to use the five love languages. I, I, and I pulled it back to the four love languages of work, removing physical touch, and that normally gets a good laugh. Um, but what I wanted to do was, through that, I wanted to highlight that everyone wants to be accepted and appreciated and recognized differently. And to develop teams, I think one must first understand who they are as a person. And that comes back to how do I want to be acknowledged? What are my drivers? And who am I as a person? Because if, if we don't know who we are, then I don't think we can expect others to know who we are. And certainly we can't, we can't allow them to understand what our expectations and what our needs are so they can feel involved in the collective success. So I guess to build a team naturally, um, I think it's natural to understand one's own self, to understand what drives, um, and then to understand what others do and to find the alignment between the two and between the three and between the team between the organisation and so on. Mm, thanks, Mark. That, that fits very nicely with uh, the Tetramap theory of celebrate everyone's uniqueness and value the differences yeah, nice. that we have. Yeah, nice. nice. All right. Well, that just about wraps us up, Mark, for this uh, In Your Element podcast interview. Appreciate your time today. And I'll make sure that our podcast listeners have the opportunity to find out where they can find more about your fascinating research. Thanks again for your time. Of course. Tihei Modi order. Thank you so much. Bye, Mark. <laughs>